0: Hi, good morning, everybody. Oh, good evening. Good brunch. good brunch. I'm Jamie Baker. I'm Sarah Matthews. And this is Nurse Coffee Talk. Welcome! Welcome! Thanks for tuning in. Yes, thank you for tuning in. We love all of you. Do you like you. that little ad? <laughs> yeah. Thanks for tuning in. Although it sounds like we're on a radio show and... Well, this is like modern radio. We should have a radio show where people can just call us directly.
1: I love kind of love that idea i know it'd be so fun no concept of how to make that a reality
0: me neither (laughs) i barely know how to make a podcast we barely do this (laughs) we're living on the edge here sure this is by the seat of our pants that's so funny well listen so real quick i was celebrating my daughter's birthday yesterday with a few of like very small limited family Um, We didn't do a big party or anything, but my sister-in-law was there and we, everybody was talking about masks because of course, like everywhere in the world, you like have to wear a mask now. Mm -hmm. And she was like, oh my God, I know. I just like, I was at, a store the other day and I had to pull down my mask when nobody was around just to like breathe. I was like, yeah, you know what we call that in nursing, right? And she's like, what? And I was like, airgasm. <laughs> and she, yeah. and I, she's like, that's so true. And I was like, I know. Yeah. Welcome to our pain. I know. And that's what I said. I, I said, yeah, everybody is complaining about having to wear masks. And I'm like, and think like we have to work a 12 hour shift in these guys, not just the fabric masks." But an N95, a 90. gown, a face shield, like, it's crazy. I was all dolled
1: up today for a room and the sweat was just dripping down my back. I was That's like, what I was just going to say. I, like,
0: <laughs> I got all garbed up and I went in the room And, of course, it's, like, a septic workup, so you're taking, it's, like, 20 minutes, right, to, like, get your blood cultures Mm -hmm. and your line in your lab and swab for COVID and get them on monitor and do an EKG and, you know, everything that you have to do. And I'm literally, sweat is rolling down my back. I mean, I just feel the beads going all the way down into my underwear. My shins are sweating. I'm like, oh my God. And it's, you know, of course it's almost August. So it's just, ugh.
1: It's like, help.
0: Oh Oh, my God.
1: The relief that people feel with the Pappers that have like the little ventilation system in them. Yes. Oh my God.
0: That should be what everyone We have Capper Shields at a couple of places I work. And honestly, it's surprising to me because one of the ERs... Like, none of the ER nurses wear them, and I'm... Whatever. I grabbed a helmet, grabbed my shield, and I wore I wore my capper for the entire day. I was like, I need air conditioning.
1: <laughs> I was having an issue where the goggles that have been provided to me do not fit over my glasses.
0: Yeah, that is a problem. So
1: I opted to go without my glasses. Mm, yeah. I had to make... It was a, a Sophie's Choice situation. Yeah. That's so, so dramatic and untrue. <laughs> <laughs> It was nowhere near a hard decision. It was a very basic decision. (laughs) Like, slowly, the sweat was, like, dripping into my... Like, it was just so many things. And this is obviously going to sound so common for anyone who's, like, regularly... Obviously, regularly doing this. But, like, for those of you who don't, have a moment of of sympathy in your little hearts.
0: Well, with glasses, it is a whole other struggle because... For example, I can see without my glasses, although it is getting worse, you mm-hmm. know, as I'm getting older, of course. But my problem is I can't read, like, monitors that are far away.
1: Yeah, that's actually why I started wearing my glasses full time,
0: because mm-hmm. I really
1: only wore them to see, the like, the board and stuff in, in school. School, And right, then yep. when I got a nursing job, I was like, I can't see far away enough to be safe here. Like, I can't even tell what the call light is
0: hmm and yeah. so
1: I started that's when I started wearing them because like you can tell a progression through all like my photos of, oh yeah of life of like oh this was like before I even wore glasses <laughs> like it was yeah. not that long ago
0: I know funny well with glasses the tricky choices so first of all if I just have a surgical mask on which is like when I'm at a nurse's station or something my glasses fog up uh-huh. if I put an N95 on with a surgical mask over it, my glasses don't have anywhere to sit. Uh So they're like sticking out, you know, whatever. (laughs) If I wear the capper, when I'm working, they, they start to fall down on my face. Like if I bend over and stuff and then I'm forced to like punch yourself in the face to try and well, or like de-glove, throw, push my finger through the capper and like try to adjust them. It's, There's there's no good glasses. Or like shake your head back like a lion to try and get your any nurse entrepreneurs (laughs) out there who would like to design some sort of PPE that is glasses appropriate by all means. Please, because I don't think the PPE is going anywhere soon. I want
1: a prescription capper.
0: Oh, could you imagine how much much those lens shields would be though? So much, so much. (laughs) That would be amazing though. That'd be cool. That would be the shit. Go for it, man. Put a patent out there.
1: Sure. Right after I figure out how to have a radio show where people can call in, I will work on the prescription
0: capper. I think you'd make more money from the prescription (laughs) cappers. I don't think that any hospital
1: would pay for that for people.
0: Do you know respirators are sold out all around the world and let me tell you hospitals didn't buy them for their employees. Well, that's true. And people bought their own stuff. We should have done this 6 months ago. I talked to one doctor who spent somewhere like $250 for like a 10 pack of N95s. That's stupid. Well, it was like in the this was oh, probably in, in April, it. right?
1: Yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, they're wretchedly expensive. Well, I was looking for um, my friends getting married in October and we are Mm -hmm. doing a small ceremony with like, I don't know what whatever her region is, whatever the the group restriction is. It's like under that. Mm -hmm. But the church obviously is saying you have to wear a mask if you're in it. So we have to Mm -hmm. wear a mask for the ceremony. Oh, my God. So I have been given the bridesmaid goal of finding good looking (laughs) masks. For the bridal party. Does the bride have to wear one too? I think they so she's not she she asked them specifically like when we're saying our vows, do we have to wear a mask? And because they live together and already have are sharing all of their germs and everything, they said no. Okay, that's
0: good. Please for the bridesmaids, you need to find ones with like that are like flesh tone with huge lips. <laughs> Like with bright red lipstick, just huge cartoon caricature lips.
1: That's actually a really funny idea. (laughs) (laughs) Because then it's like we're not wearing a mask at all.
0: Totally. We should have it done with like Kim
1: Kardashian makeup on the bottom so that. Oh my
0: god, amazing. Oh my god, that's
1: so funny. (laughs) <laughs> but yeah now there's a huge market i was on etsy and it was just like page after page after page of fancy lace masks and i was like i Man, know here we are did you say lace mask yes but not the type that those idiots are posting where it's like i got my new breathable mask and it's like a piece of tool and it's like oh. okay <laughs> okay <laughs> no like cotton mask with like lace sewn on top of it to make it look fancy
0: oh gotcha I just got my kids' school supply list yesterday because my school is going back five days a week. That's insane. And I couldn't be more excited to get my kids out of the house, well, FYI. Well, I mean,
1: totally. I'm sure that's how a lot of people feel.
0: But they are requiring... Well, my, my daughters are under six, and they are not required to wear masks. I did buy a couple for them if they feel like they want to. Mm-hmm. But my son, he is required to have two masks per day. Well, let me tell you, masks are not cheap. The, they were like $10, 12 $13 bucks a piece. Whoa. And it's for like fabric and... You can make them. Last, I don't sew. You know me. You know who you're talking to. Never took a home at class in my life. <laughs> Couldn't put a button on if my... Okay, I could put a, button, could put a button on a button. if I my life depended too. on yeah. it. You could probably it sew it properly. A human if needed to. It wouldn't be on properly, but it would be on. It would make pants hold together for like a day. <laughs> so two a day so would
1: you buy reusable ones that you can wash? Oh yeah, absolutely. I sure. saw so I was at Target getting supplies for one of my friends birthday gifts that I was making. I went to the school supply section cuz even though it's July and I do not feel emotionally ready for school, (laughs) even though I'm not going to school. It's just as like a feeling, you know, Mm -hmm. because I was still looking for the pool stuff. So I was like, man, I'm not ready for it to not be summer anymore.
0: Well, you got a solid month left
1: of summer. Don't worry. I know. But yeah, I was, you know, I just love going to the school supply section. Like that's just the genuine nerd in me of like every year. I'm like, oh, I wish I could buy folders. I wish I had a reason. I'm a trapper keeper. (laughs) Trapper keeper. I need a new backpack. (laughs) And I'm like, okay. nope, you're a 30-year-old woman and you don't need any of those things.
0: You can find a use for a trapper keeper at home. I can and I will.
1: <laughs> but they had a whole they had a whole wall that was just masks, like little kid masks for school. Mm. And it was like a funny... Just obviously that's never been a thing ever before. I know. That would the be, world
0: is different. It's so
1: different. Fast, too. Just well, wild. like, for
0: example, so my kids... There are extracurriculars that are not attached to the school, so like my daughter's gymnastics and ballet, mm-hmm. um, they are those are ongoing. However, anything that was attached to the school, so like my son's cross country, they're not doing any extracurricular activities. And here's my thing. like the kids are already in school to. <sighs> I just feel like the limitations that people are putting on stuff is absolutely stupid because it's arbitrary. Because if, if you feel that you
1: can't have extracurriculars, then you shouldn't have school. Full stop. Exactly. So, I mean, even. I mean, should you be running in a mask? No,
0: that probably isn't. I, I'm sure that's hard for no, people. No, but kids aren't running in a group. They're running, like, you can tell them run single file. Like, it's cross country. Come on. Yeah. Like, be you're out for, in the yeah, open. You can be
1: further apart. I mean, I do know that when COVID started, people thought, oh, we could just be apart and do things. So, like, choirs would get together. And they would stand far apart and be six feet apart. But when you're singing, you're, you're singing. Just you're expelling all expelling those expelling all of them. You know, so like if you're breathing heavy when you're running, like yeah, you're expell. You know, certain sports and stuff. Fine, contact sports, fine. I get it. But again, I, I mean, I'm on the camp. School shouldn't be back the way that it's going to be. But again, that's a realistic. I mean, just is what it is. Obviously, but
0: well, it's really interesting in my area. So I live in a township, and there's several townships and cities nearby. So it's really interesting to see how they're all doing it. Because one area right by me, they had their kids opt for 100% online or 100% in person. And the kids make the decision or parents or, you know, whatever. The family makes the decision for themselves. Oh my god, that sounds like
1: (laughs) a war in a household. Oh my god. Of who wants to do
0: what. Part of it is there are so many two family incomes. And if your kids can't go to school, then one of your people can't work. Correct. Yeah. And it's just... Or you're exposing them to other people struggle. to a babysitter or something. I mean, that was part of the reason we started our kids in school at 13 months, you know, because we didn't want them at a babysitter. Yeah. But it's just... That's a real, a real struggle. People can't return to work because their kids can't go to school. hmm So, you know, I understand wanting to get the kids back in school. And I think they're, I feel like my school is trying to do it safely. And you know where I've always stood on the coronavirus thing, but, like, with kids, it's still going to be a very different environment. We'll see how it goes. But homeschooling didn't work for us. We quit. We flat out quit after two weeks. Well,
1: and that's really the long and short of it, too, is, like, ultimately, no one is equipped to just suddenly homeschool. That's just right. not, it's not a thing. Right. It's not a thing. So, I mean, it's a, it's a cost benefit analysis, basically,
0: mm-hmm.
1: literally in many cases. And like, But one of the things that I think is outrageous is the schools, like the colleges, the universities that are staying remote and keeping it the same price.
0: So let me tell you. So my goddaughter is going away to school this fall. Okay. Mm-hmm. She graduated. She was a graduating senior this year. She's going away to school. Her school, it's considered eighty percent online. They have the option to take math in person, which to me, you have to be in person for math. Learning math online I is I took it online in class. It was horrible. Oh god, I know, right? But she opted to take it online, which I think was a terrible decision. But that's her decision. She's well, eighteen. She, she and... doesn't know. <laughs> I know. She has no idea. She'll live and learn. She, yep, exactly. So she's doing one hundred percent online classes. But she's going to live in the dorm, which is probably the riskiest place to be is in the dorm. Absolutely, yes. But here's the thing. That's where colleges make their money, on the dorm and the food plan. Yeah. So you can't tell me that this is a safety issue when you're allowing kids to move into the dorm when they're going to school online. They shouldn't.
1: I mean, I'm surprised because the places that I know, like out here that are staying remote are not opening the dorms, but they're still charging you however much per year. And it's
0: like... Oh, that's bullshit. An
1: online college or an online class through that college costs less than an in-person class. So how mm-hmm. can you possibly charge me forty grand when I'm not room and boarding, I'm not yeah. getting any kind of teacher time and we already know from last semester that like last semester that they did that all those schools like tripled the work because they just assumed that people had time to do whatever they wanted to and like kids were drowning like one of the one of the universities out here the kids had to almost not riot but like the basically the students like half unionized to present as an equal front like you all need to stop putting so much extra work on us It's Mm -hmm. harder to work in this environment. It's harder to learn in this environment. Yeah, I'm Mm -hmm. at home on my couch and I'm not doing any extracurriculars because they're closed. But like, that doesn't mean you can triple the amount of work I have in every class.
0: That's insane.
1: And y'all are still charging me the same. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's insane to me.
0: It's a very interesting dynamic, and we'll see how it goes in schools. Well, anyway, yeah. we should get into nursing stuff. I guess we should.
1: I have a funny tidbit. Okay. It made me Love laugh it. because you know how we always complain about, like, the press Ganey scores and, like, when you're reading the comments and stuff? Mm-hmm. It's all, you know, how was the nursing? Like question. How was the nursing? Answer. The food was terrible. Right. <laughs> and when I told the nurses that the food was terrible, she said she couldn't do anything about it. You know, it's all... So it's right. not relevant, and it's not <laughs> it's not constructive. It's not helpful. Sure. You know and it's, it feels petty and whatever. So, we always kind of joke about that. Well, we recently put out a survey within my service line about a new. We have this daily rounding meeting that we're doing during COVID. It's virtual to so try and get everyone on the same page. And basically, like, they still have to round in person on the patients, but the rest of the team doesn't because we're trying not to gather. Mm-hmm. So we're doing this new rounding thing where we can all touch base about a patient. And actually it's great because we really didn't have a set structure before where the entire interdisciplinary team could touch base. Mm-hmm. Every other service does. My service has a lot of different problems. This has been one of them. Okay. Low engagement. It's been, it's a very, you know, it's, I won't get into it, but it's it was a detailed <laughs> problem. It's been all consuming in my life for a long time. So we sent out a little survey of what does everyone think about it? Do you think that it's beneficial? What would you change about it? You know X, Y, and Z. The main complaints were the timing of it, which was catered to one specific discipline because it was work. work what worked best for them, and it's mm-hmm. not as convenient for the rest of us. But like, it's not going to be overly convenient for everybody at any time. So like, it just is what it is. Sure. But then there were all of these. It was like, uh, how helpful are do you find these rounds? Extremely helpful, very helpful, somewhat helpful, not helpful. I'm sorry. Was the survey for the patient or for the people involved in the rounds? Us, uh, the employees in in rounds. Okay. So on a scale of like one to five, one being definitely not helpful and five being extremely helpful, like, you know, rate all these things. Out of all the responses, I would say like, I would say 70 to 80% were all within the top two of it's either definitely helpful or very helpful. And people had good things to say, whatever. However, there was very clearly like two or three people who took this when they had a B in their bonnet because Mm -hmm. every single answer was
0: definitely not helpful. And they were doctors.
1: It was the APPs, yeah.
0: Oh, it was the APPs. Yeah, not the doctors.
1: We don't have the doctors on our rounds. Oh, which is another B in my bonnet, but that's a discussion for another time. And it's these. There's a few APPs that like hate having to basically communicate they just hate it they don't want to and all the comments were like let's do away with this all together why can't people just reach out if they have questions
0: oh come on
1: because we don't even know what fucking questions to ask if we're not on rounds with you to know what you're talking about. Right, sure. And I was reading them. And of course, you always go to the negative stuff first, because that's what sticks with you, obviously. Mm-hmm. And there were some that were directed directly at me. Oh, really? Not by name, but like by department. Well, basically, sure. Right. About stuff that had nothing to do with rounds.
0: Like what? <laughs>
1: It was like the case managers meet, need, show no investment in getting a prior auth for meds and sending down scripts. Oh, really? Okay, well, let's break that apart. Number one being I don't have prescribing rights, so I can't right. send down scripts. Number two, the only reason that any med that you've ever prescribed has gotten a prior auth is because I've done it. So I don't know, literally don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> and I can't know that the patient's on a medication that has been started unless you tell me about it. And you know where we do that? Rounds. <laughs> So you know how you can increase engagement having rounds
0: people make me hate people people make me hate people
1: that's exactly right and I was sitting there with my mouth open like I am at an absolute fucking loss with some of these responses it oh blew God. me away, and so many of them had nothing to do with rounds and were so irrelevant. You know, it's like, well, what, what, um, what's an advantage of rounds? The time. What's a d- disadvantage of rounds? The time. <laughs> okay, okay. So like, no, you can't. You literally, it was, it was just data point after data point after data point of essentially completely useless information. Because awesome. for whatever, if, if there were five people that were for it, there were five people that were against it. Like it was. I was laughing by the end of right? because I'm like, this is the stupidest survey that anyone's ever taken. Oh, and I, I was just having very strong press gainy vibes from the whole thing. <laughs> and I was like, it's a good thing that we're not getting funding based on our results from this survey because this no stu- didn't go well. <laughs>
0: the worst. Oh my gosh. Wow.
1: That's all. That's my little, that's my little <laughs> irritation story.
0: I love it. I, love I was it.
1: hot about it, though, when I got this the thing. Oh, my God.
0: I didn't want to interrupt your story, but again, a bee under their bonnet. You and your geriatric phrases. <laughs> I feel like your name was supposed to be like Ethel or... <laughs>
1: Oh my, God, oh my God! You're so funny. So, Ruth I actually would said be something. One. I said something the other day that people, like a group of people, turned around and looked at me, and I was like, "Shut up!"
0: <laughs> I know I'm 72. I know, trapped in the body okay? of a 32 year old. So funny. You must have a bee under your bonnet. <laughs> <laughs> I stand by it. <laughs> you know what's really funny is I've been using this phrase because, well, initially I started using it because I thought it was funny. Because somebody said it and I was like, oh my God, I haven't heard that phrase in forever. So I started using it particularly with my girls because it seems really appropriate because they bang themselves up all the time, right? Mm -hmm. The phrase that smarts. Uh huh. Like, sure. Ooh, that really smarts. It's very Like, British. It hurts, but it's not like bad enough to really require intervention. It's just going to like put you off your track for a minute and make uh-huh. you rub it and make a face, mm-hmm. right? Like, that smarts. So I've been using it with my girl. I'm like, oh, does that, that must really smart. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's funny. I probably heard it from you or something. I don't know that I say that one, but I am going to start. (laughs) You must. It goes with your
1: 84-year-old language. So (laughs) So when I was growing up, my, my dad used to joke, I don't know where this came from. But he's older, so it's, he's got a lot of cornball humor. and
0: mm, That's called dad jokes.
1: Dad jokes. And he goes, I'm done. D-U-N, done. Okay. I don't know why, but that was just... And, like, obviously, that's not how you spell done, and we know that.
0: Right. But And he
1: knows that. But, like, I don't know if that's just... Whatever. From wherever he got it from... So I've said it a few times, because you know how you, how you think things are universal phrases because you heard them a lot growing up, and then you repeat sure. them, and they're sure. like... What are you literally talking about? And you're like, oh, is that just a my household thing? Oh, <laughs> it must be. Might be. So I was um walking home with one of my friends and she goes, This heat, oh my God, I'm done. D U N done. <laughs> I just stared at her and she goes, "I know that's not how you spelled done." And I was like, "That's not why I'm looking at you." Did we have the same father growing up? Like what 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 happened? Wait, is this
0: the girl that also has that fear of when like, no, I wish that would have been so funny. Oh, okay. <laughs> that's funny.
1: For those of All you right. who don't know, we're both afraid
0: of dots. That's <laughs> a long story. <laughs> dots. It's bizarre. I, <laughs> I'm not getting into anyway, it. Anyway, we should get into today's topic. Okay. I don't know how long ago this was put out, if it was put out at the beginning of 2020 or the end of 2019, but Purdue University put out an... Oh, sorry. Never mind. Have the date. October 7th, 2019. So it's a little outdated, but we were looking for some topics that might be appealing. Well, and not this quite came a year up, old. It's not even a year old. Yeah. So, I mean, I would call it relevant, except that 2020 has really determined that like relevancy is like daily. So, yes, that's true. So, this the dumpster fire that is 2020, it's ever changing. Right. But this was uh, Purdue University put out this article, Top 10 Nursing Trends for 2020. And I thought that we could maybe go through this and maybe we don't have to necessarily talk about each one, but it may spark some conversation for us. Can we do it clickbait? BuzzFeed style. You won't believe the top 10 nursing complaints
1: of 2020. Number seven will surprise you. Oh, God, you're such a nerd. (laughs) No, we cannot because you're a nerd. I want to. (laughs) Gotta reel them in, get them hooked. So they have to listen till number seven and then be disappointed. (laughs) Then be
0: disappointed. Oh, my God. You're so funny. All right. So, uh, the article starts with nursing is the nation's largest healthcare profession. I think we're all very well aware of that. Four million registered nurses in the U.S. And the need is a-growing, my friends. Sure is. Tell your friends. <laughs> Tell your friends. Get all the, Or don't, r- if you rally want them to all the stay friends. H-
1: art history majors.
0: The U.S. Bureau of Labor Statistics projects that employment of registered nurses will grow 12% from 2018 to 2028, much faster than other professions. The first top 10 nursing trend for 2020 is increased specialization. Oh, well, isn't that appropriate? I know. So it says the demand for RNs who specialize in specific areas of medicine like psych, OB, gerontology, etc. is on the rise. Specialization enables the nurse to be an expert in the area in which he or she is providing care. It also opens the door to opportunities for career advancement. So I do have things to say about that. Yeah, let's talk about it.
1: The first being, just because people are talking about it more doesn't mean that they've invented something. Because nurses who worked on the specific designated, because there's always been designated floors. Not always Mm -hmm. in terms of the history of healthcare, because of course, hospital wards just used to have wards. But definitely a decent number of generations have passed where we have had, this is the OB area, this is the... ICU area. This is the neuro area. Like they've been they've been divided. So like, of course, nurses who can like who work on that floor for more than a year or two are going to be specialized, basically, because that's the patient population that they see. But I, so I, I mean, I appreciate that there's a recognition of the expertise that comes with work experience. Mm -hmm. And not having to, like, specialize in it in school, but to get experience working and become a specialized nurse in that. That's great. But it's Mm -hmm. interesting that they're like, this is a new thing that we're trying to tell nurses they should be doing. Well, it was happening already. So I don't really, I don't, I guess I don't really get
0: that angle. Okay, well, let me counter that. Uh Which is, we have talked numerous times about the older mentality That A nurse is a nurse is a nurse is a nurse. And 50 years ago, a nurse is a nurse is a nurse is a nurse might have been true. You might have had somebody who worked like the same nurse was caring for diphtheria and also delivering babies. Yeah. Yay? No? I don't know. Yeah. I think definitely
1: in, definitely in in like smaller hospitals and like- Sure. The ICU nurse also is the one that delivered, or the ER nurse is also the one that delivered your baby because she was the OB nurse on call too.
0: Right. So I think the recognition that there's increased specialization is something that nurses- have known for years, obviously, you don't, if you work OB or psych, like don't put me on a med surge floor. We've even talked about that in the ICUs, Mm -hmm. you know, when people have like critical care float pools. Well, I'm a neuro ICU nurse. Don't put me in CV ICU. Mm -hmm. I mean, I might be able to hang in like a trauma ICU, but
1: yeah, exactly. I mean, we had that issue where my unit was surgical and the next unit right next to us, we like shared a hallway was Mm -hmm. medicine. And we would Mm -hmm. have overflow over there. Right. And we'd have issues where the medicine people only calculated eyes and nose once a shift. Right. And we did it every two to four hours. Mm
0: -hmm. Yeah, but that's like, that's
1: a policy thing, though. Well, that's also an order set thing. And it's like, you clearly didn't read the orders because it says in there, q4 vitals or whatever you know and i know etc but we also just knew innately that that's what you had to do with a post-op patient because that fluid balance obviously is more crucial then um right. and that was a i mean that was a knowledge-based thing regardless of whether or not you're following orders you also should know yeah. why you need to
0: I hear your point on that, and I'm not arguing it. You're 100% correct in what you're saying. But there is a little bit more overflow between, like, a medical patient and a surgical patient than, let's say, a surgical patient and a psychiatric patient. I'm not arguing that it's not. I <laughs> I know. I'm just saying, like, <laughs> I'm just I can giving see where they, would, they would overflow that stuff. But, like, I mean, you and I have talked time and again that, like, Nurses have increased their specialization, and a nurse is not a nurse is not a nurse. If you specialize in OB, you're really not well-rounded enough to go work in another area. And, like, no, one and of I the hospitals... What, I, oh, go ahead.
1: Well, I guess what, my, what I'm saying about, like, I don't understand the angle that they're taking is less mm-hmm. about the recognition of that and more about that there. I feel like there's this angle of, instead of making people aware of what's already true, they're trying to... Like, we're going to make nurses specialize. And, like, like they're acting like there's an initiative when, in fact, it's already happening.
0: Well, both. It is already happening, but there is kind of an initiative, and I don't know it formally, but the fact that... Specialized nurses are being required more and more frequently to obtain higher, like, certifications. So, like, all your, um, like, your boards. So, like, the emergency nursing, like, the BCEN, which is the certification for emergency nurses. There's OB certifications. There's PACU and OR certifications. Mm-hmm. You know, so you're being required to go pay these extra funds, take additional coursework, and then test out to become a certified nurse in your field. Yeah. So, I mean, there is that initiative to push for higher level certification within your specialization. So, yeah. And I I mean, I support that. I fully support that. I think that's great. Completely. But I think it's interesting to read this because you and I have said over and over, a nurse's nurse's nurse is just not true. And so that mentality is phasing out. And the people who feel that way are literally old school and not relevant yeah, in their touch. in their thoughts they're completely yeah. out of touch. All right, moving on. Number 2, nurses are moving into the community outpatient setting. It says healthcare has been increasingly shifting from inpatient to outpatient settings, blah 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 blah, statistic statistic.
1: <laughs> we finally have some real statistics and you're glazing right past
0: them. <laughs> They just don't mesh with what we do. (laughs) We're not here for facts. We already told you. Okay, I'll read the stupid statistic. No, it's okay. It was boring. It was boring. That's why I went over it. According to the American Hospital Association's 2019 Hospital Statistic Report, outpatient revenue in 2017 was 95% of inpatient revenue, further closing the gap that existed between the two. Now, you tell me, was that worth hearing? No. No. No, exactly. (laughs) So, quote, wellness is what nurses work toward, and wellness begins in the community. Our goal is to help people get and stay healthy, and this is enhanced when nurses are working in the community, providing preventative and restorative care. Decreasing unnecessary visits and stays in acute care institutions helps decrease health care costs, and nurses are in a prime position to make a great impact.
1: I totally agree. Anecdotal evidence- Come in your way.
0: Statistics.
1: Statistics. I work in home care, right? Like, that's my job. Part, half my job is setting up home resources for people who are discharging.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Almost all of my patients need some kind of home care. And I've only been doing the job for mm, almost three years, which, whoa.
0: I know. Can you believe it? I know. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Time flies. Even since I started, there were certain areas in the region that were really, really difficult to service. So, like, mm-hmm. around my city and around surrounding areas has always been easy. There's a billion home care agencies and there's no problem but you get out to the rural areas and there just aren't there might be two they one doesn't take the insurance and the other doesn't have any availability and then you're sol so mm. there's been a lot of struggles and like there have been areas that i've noted in my mind is like okay when i know a patient lives there i need to really be on my game when it, we're talking about discharge because i likely will need some advanced notice it's a hard to service area x y and z COVID in particular has been a struggle, mm-hmm. obviously, because more people are, are sick than there were before because we just have mm-hmm. more people who are sick. But even since I started, I've noticed an increase in an uptick in the number of um, home care agencies in general, even if they're being bought out by one another, which is always what happens in healthcare to sure. make bigger umbrellas. But yeah. then they're growing financially and then they can expand. Right. They have more staff. And they take more insurances. Mm-hmm. And I've just noticed a steady incline of the home care resources, which is great because it is proven to keep patients out of the hospital for longer.
0: Mm-hmm. For sure. Well, and I also think this is a huge area in which nurse practitioners have stepped in.
1: Yes. Like like primary care? Yes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It, they really fit a need for that.
0: For sure. 100%. As
1: basically the hospital system and insurance bullshit gets worse and worse with every passing breath. Mm-hmm. We need to have more primary options. I mean, that's just the reality.
0: Well, I'm sorry, when you're sick and it takes three days to get in to see your doctor, that's why people go to that's why people go to the hospital. right. But now we are seeing that huge uptick in urgent cares. And I'm fine with urgent cares as long as they actually assess the patient, assess and treat people. <laughs> yes. but that's but this is this is an interesting debate because what I see happening at urgent cares, is the uh, advanced practice provider is usually running it. Now, I know you said you doctors run it in your area. In my area, it's a, it's APPs. At least the one that I went to
1: that one time when I thought I broke my arm. <laughs> okay. It wasn't broken for the record. It just hurt a lot.
0: What's happening is they're very, I don't know if it's a volume thing, but they're not doing thorough assessments, and they're very quick to send people over to the ER. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I feel they like... They want to own
1: the responsibility of potentially... Correct. Yeah. The,
0: correct. Yes. So, and I don't know, like, look, I haven't researched that. I'm not an expert on that dynamic whatsoever. So I'm not, I'm not purporting that I am. But what I think is happening is they're just there for like a volume thing. Okay. If I can bandage you up and send you home, cool. I'll do that but anything above that i'm going to send you over to the er cuz i don't i don't want the responsibility of it mm-hmm. and i think that part of that is coming from that's where some of the nurse practitioners are getting their jobs straight out of school and, and as we all know there's a there's a huge surge of nurse practitioners that are not getting clinical experience before going to school. So you're coming out with this really limited perspective on what should be done. In fact, many people that I know that are going to NP school are people that I've worked with. And so I'll see them studying and stuff. And the the types of work that they have to do is all, like, very clinic-oriented work. Mm-hmm. It's not hospital-type Even when they're getting their acute care NP? What I'm saying is, like, when people... Like they have to do case studies and stuff, and it's like, oh, a patient presents with this type of rash, like that kind of stuff. So you yeah, have it's to, like, like, if you're
1: a sick you acute care NP, you're not gonna. That's not relevant.
0: I think that they're being more groomed to take over the roles of urgent cares and that kind of setting, which I think is a totally appropriate place for an advanced practice provider to work. If they have some clinical background, and again, we've beat that with a dead horse. You all know how we all feel about that. But I think that's part of what's happening is you get people that are not—they don't have a lot of clinical experience—and they're then the be-all and end-all at these urgent cares. And so it's like, oh, oh, I shortness of breath, go to the ER. Yeah,
1: and the thing about an urgent care is that the same way of an emergency room, at any given moment, somebody could walk in that's normal, and something could walk in that's an emergency. Yeah, so. For, for an FNP or a primary care um, doctor, NP, PA, whomever, mm-hmm. you know, that's a different thing where, like, yeah, maybe your school is more oriented to that, especially, obviously, if you're, you know, you can specialize as an NP, so, like, they get trained to do yeah. that X, Y, and Z. Sure. But really, your value as a provider at an urgent care or an ER is kind of based in you have, s- have seen enough and have enough experience yeah. to make good clinical judgments and mm-hmm. if you are coming in without any bedside experience, first of all, but even bedside experience, like, if you haven't worked in an ER urgent care, I, I don't know why you could be an NP in one. Like, that doesn't make sense to me.
0: The world doesn't make sense to me, Sarah.
1: What did you say earlier? Strangers make me hate. People make me hate people.
0: People make <laughs> me hate people. Yeah. <laughs> All right. um, We're just going to kind of blow through some of these. We don't have to talk in depth about all of them. I just think it's an interesting list. I know. I just have so many opinions. I know. You're an expert in your own opinion. I'm an expert in my own opinion. All right. Number three, this one should touch you in the feels. Rise of the nurse navigator. (gasps) That's me. I know. Nurse navigators are nurses who use their medical knowledge along with their management and people skills to guide patients through their healthcare journey. They help patients navigate the healthcare system and take holistic approaches to improving their overall quality of life. Quote, The nurse navigator is an expanded nurse case manager role. The navigator specifically helps the patient with smooth transitions and care. They help patients understand what's happening to them, the test, the diagnosis, the medicine, all of the care that they need. This role has gained importance as the population ages and chronic health conditions become more prevalent. They can work for themselves, for an independent nurse company, for an insurance company, or for physician groups and medical facilities.
1: So I obviously do my side in the hospital. Right. But I've worked with nurse navigators both from insurance that's, like, automatically provided when a patient is more high risk. Which, like, for an Mm -hmm. insurance company, they're also trying to, like, mitigate cost. Sure. Because, you know, if you can have, if you can prevent a patient from going to the hospital, you're going to save your company money. Mm -hmm. I've also dealt with some bougie people who have hired nurse navigators, basically to do the heavy lifting for them. I'm, You know what? Mm-hmm. Do it. That's great. It went great. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it went way better than when you're trying to explain something to a patient who has no... They have no frame of reference for what you're talking about. Mm-hmm. Um, like, I went into the patient's room today and his wife was like, can you tell me exactly how much his hospital bill is going to be after it's billed through my insurance? No. And I was like, no. I just... Can't even begin to describe how much I cannot do that. <laughs> I said, well, you get billed after you leave, and then your insurance and in the hospital will have at it for a while and then you'll get it like no I have absolutely no I'm so sorry I can't predict that even she was like I mean are we talking hundreds are we talking thousands and I was like I don't even know what you've had done here that could <laughs> right. even guess at that like
0: no no that's how no I can't do
1: that sorry but it's just an impossible to navigate system and it's set up mm-hmm. like that intentionally the mm-hmm. same way that the legal system is mm-hmm. so the same way that you need to hire a lawyer to navigate through the legal system with you. Mm -hmm. Hiring a lawyer is a privilege often because that's, you know, it's it's very expensive, but same kind of thing of like, if you can't afford a Nurse Navigator, we
0: will appoint you one. Like, that should be the the phrase. Hmm. Well, that is certainly a theory. Hot take. We may get to that one day. <laughs> Why don't you lead the charge in that? Because number four on our list is expanding entrepreneurship opportunities. Oh my God. What should my Nurse Navigator company be called? <laughs> Sarah's sass. <laughs>
1: Are you looking for someone that's sarcastic
0: and isn't too touchy-feely? Well, I've got the nurse for you. (laughs) You're such a dork. (laughs) Number four, expanding entrepreneurship opportunities. Entrepreneurship is a trend in nursing that's on the rise. Quote, there are many opportunities for nurses to set up their own business. Nurse navigators and nurse practitioners who provide direct services to patients are two examples. And I would say not even close to all of them. I mean, not even close to all the examples. This is particularly important in rural areas that need services. There you go. Mm -hmm. There are also entrepreneur opportunities that don't involve direct patient care. Nurse informatics is one. Mm -hmm. Nurse consultants who visit doctor's offices and clinics to consult on electronic health records to help with scheduling and documentation. Nurse entrepreneurs who work as quality management experts for assistant care and long-term living. Mm -hmm. Uh, Many, many, many other as well. There's Others. so many things. That's how my parents kind of sold
1: me on it when we were talking about what I should do to, like, you know, mm-hmm. be a person. Right. They were like, even if you don't want to stay bedside, there is literally no end to the different types of
0: things you can do. For And sure. I was like,
1: oh, you're still in healthcare And they were like, not even if you don't want to. Like, literally, there are so many different options that you can do yeah. with the degree.
0: And they were right. One that we talked about that we have yet to receive offers on is... Um, consulting for television scripts oh yeah i forgot about that (laughs) how could you forget about that? i don't know it's one of our 27 businesses (laughs) well how many sources of income do you need six seven they say seven
1: that's so many sources of income oh my god
0: (laughs) well side hustles are a big thing you better start your mlm marketing i guess (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> but like almost every nurse I know
1: has some kind of side hustle.
0: Well, this is ours.
1: We just don't make any money, right? <laughs> so the whole source of income
0: thing—it's not going great so far, everyone. Yeah. Well, they say it takes time. You well, guys share us with your friends so we can finally make some money. Please put food in my kids' mouths.
1: <laughs> my sweet little baby angels need some food.
0: Today is my daughter's third birthday, and she's hungry because nobody pays for our <laughs> podcast. I'm just kidding. For for the world out there, believe me, the girl's not hungry. She gets food.
1: She's fine. She's fine. You know how dogs act like you have—they've never been fed in their
0: entire life. Every time you feed them. Nope. my daughter doesn't even act like that. She got sparkly. <laughs> I asked her what she wanted for her birthday this year. And the only thing she said was sparkly dresses. Well, sure. So she, the girl got sparkly dresses. And let me tell you, my living room is covered in glitter. I bet it is. Covered. I
1: literally didn't wear anything except dresses from ages two to three (laughs) and my mom was like not want she's like i don't want to keep buying her these dresses she's gonna outgrow them and my dad was like just buy them already like it's what she wants
0: i know exactly and then
1: i turned whatever age and i was like no i'm done with that
0: now thank you (laughs) bye bye all right number five continued growth of telehealth Uh uh-huh sure Especially now. Duh. That was very
1: appropriate of them in October of nineteen yeah.
0: to predict. Yeah. for A lot of foresight. Telehealth increases a patient's access to doctors and nurses through video and phone consults, remote monitoring, and other electronic communication. 76% of U.S. hospitals connect with patients and consulting practitioners via technology. That's stupid. So... Via phone call? Okay, thanks. Yeah,
1: right. Phone call and...
0: Also been happening since 1984, but okay. My medicine portal shit
1: too. Which like I like, but also generationally, that is one thing that's really hard for people. Yeah. And that's been something that I think we haven't done a great job of really integrating for as as the boomers are, are retiring and becoming more of our patient demographic, as they age, like there's only going to be an increase in technology. And I think we need to for do a better sure. job of like connecting that with people who ne- actually need it.
0: Yeah. Here, I'm going to go through this real quick and yeah. then add a couple of points here. So it says, quote, nurses are using telehealth technologies in a variety of healthcare and health education settings. They're a great opportunity for health promotion, wellness checks and patient care. Critical care is another area where nurses can provide care virtually. Uh, for example, a nurse in a small rural hospital excuse me, a small rural, that is a really tricky word, hospital can use technology to consult with an expert critical care nurse in a major medical center. On the wellness side, clinics and outpatient settings are now integrating personal health information from wearable devices into the patient's record. All right, so let's talk about that. First of all, wait, first of all, I was a little distracted because the word rural, rural, rural,
1: there's an episode of 30 Rock called The Rural Juror. Oh, God. (laughs) (laughs) And the whole joke is that she's been telling them the name of this pilot that she's doing called Uh The Rural Juror. (laughs) <laughs> and none of everyone thinks it's called something else, and they keep being like, "Oh, she's in that pile, like the royal joyer." And they're like, "No, it's the, <laughs> it's the, the, the round jumpy guy." Like, like it's just like random whatever it is, and like they're, like, "Oh, the rural juror."
0: That's so funny. <laughs> but I can speak to
1: t- telehealth a little bit because that's part of home care too.
0: Go ahead, and then I'll make a couple points, and we got to move on. Well, we do telehealth for our heart failure patients because it's actually the easiest way.
1: To, one, get them in the habit of doing something, and, two, to stay connected to it. So they yeah. weigh themselves, blood pressure, pulse, whatever else. It's all in one little machine that automatically gets trended and uploaded. And then mm. it's like, oh, you gained two pounds overnight. Let me adjust your diuretic. And you get a little flag. That's in a way that, like, you know, we still have patients who show up 40 pounds up, which is agony. Sure, yeah. But it's we're able to do a lot more outpatient
0: management. I mean, that's mm-hmm. crucial. Mm-hmm. That's awesome because... The ulterior motive for the hospital is obviously keeping patients out of the hospital. Yes. Because that 30-day, no reimbursement. Yeah. (laughs) That's the bane of my existence. I know. The bane of all of our existences. But from a critical care perspective, telehealth has become huge because obviously if you are in a facility that's not a level one facility and doesn't have specialists in house. You know, a lot of places are using like robots or iPads or whatever to consult with like neurospecialists and things like that. Stroke specialists I is a big that. one. That's great. Yeah. So that's hugely helpful. So people that maybe aren't in the presence of that specialist can still get the help of the specialist. From a wellness side, you look at things like loop recorders and things like that. I know my dad you know, we talked about when my dad went into AFib and he's like absolutely completely overwhelmed by anxiety. And he often, he won't acknowledge his anxiety. The rest of my family knows he's, he's a very anxious person, Mm. but he kept thinking that he was an AFib and he literally was altering his life because he'd be like, I'm an AFib. I can't do anything. And he was on the correct medication. He was following up regularly with a cardiologist, you know, all these things. Well, finally his doctor recommended like a little, it's like a personal EKG machine and it just goes, he just pastes it to the back of his phone. So it's always on his phone with him. If he feels like he's an AFib, you apply two fingers to each of the pads and and it takes your EKG. How? That's wild. And if you want to send it to your physician, you can send it to your physician, and they'll read it, like, within minutes. Oh,
1: my God. And if
0: there's something life-threatening, they'll contact you and tell you to go to the hospital or call 911 or whatever. But let me tell you, this has been a game changer. Oh, yeah. I bet. For him, because there have been At first, when he first got it, he was like, I'm an AFib, and he'd go do his EKG, and his doctor would call and be like, nope, you're good, you're not an AFib, you can go about your life, everything's fine. Interesting. He was feeling like he was having AFib attacks, I would say, nearly daily, and since he got this and was told multiple times that he was not an AFib, he has only had one true AFib attack mm-hmm. in a year and a half. He's learned what's,
1: what's real and what's not for him.
0: No, he just goes on the EKG and he... <laughs> confirms
1: it right there well i was reading an hmp recently that was um patient presented after her apple watch told her the apple watch read something and yeah she you told me well. about that yeah and she like legit was having a heart attack
0: yeah that's crazy. That's
1: crazy. And, like, they put it in the H&P, which made me laugh, because it was such, like, a modern thing to see. Yeah. It didn't feel very... Like, I mean, but that was what happened. That was exactly the truth, but...
0: Mm-hmm. This whole thing, we kind of divert... Because we took telehealth and took it to technology, but this is supposed to be nursing, <laughs> it's nursing trends, but that's okay. Telehealth, technology... It's Nurses are going to have to use technology more. There's a trend.
1: There you go. <laughs> and they're going to have to help all of their friends and family navigate all these different healthcare technologies that are coming out because we're the go-to for, sure. for,
0: can you look at this real quick? Yep, absolutely. Yep. Oh, my dad has, my dad has emailed me his EKGs and been like, what do you think? What oh, you that's think? actually a good one. We like, should write that down as an, another episode
1: option. What's like, that? The can you look at this real quick?
0: Oh, yeah, for sure. And just telling
1: stories about that
0: because I've got several. All right. These last th- couple, we got to go through quickly. Okay, I'm Increasing need for doctoral education. The number of nurses enrolling in doctoral education programs is growing specifically for the doctor of nursing practice. There's a physician shortage in our country and we need more direct care providers. Nurse practitioners are increasingly earning a doctoral level education to fill some of that void. In addition, the future of nursing includes a mandate to have more doctorally prepared nurses. Okay. First of all, I'm a hundred percent against this. I think this is business pushing. <laughs>
1: Same, totally.
0: I, I think it's business pushing its agenda onto nurses who don't know any better. Because let me tell you, you're not going to make it worth it. Absolutely. I didn't know to. any better. I went and got my master's degree and I've literally gotten zero increase in pay, but I'm ninety grand in debt. So yeah. it's I think it's the absolute stupidest thing in the world. I think that hospitals and Whoever these people are that are saying, we need more doctorally prepared nurses. No, no, we don't. We just need a better education for master's prepared nurses who want to be advanced practice providers. And let me tell you, maybe if you give them a little experience before they go into school, you won't need them to be doctorally yeah, like, prepared. like I like how the band-aid
1: for not having an adequate master's program is to just, we'll come back and just pay us more money
0: and we'll just teach you better. Right. Right, it's just business pushing its agenda on poor nurses who are just stuck in this cycle and like, oh, if you want to get a job with us, you need to be have a doctoral degree. No, no, you don't.
1: Well, I feel that way about the poor physical therapists. Oh, God, and social have barely, workers. Who
0: have barely an inch to move
1: up. Barely. Yeah. They can climb a small ladder within their own department. Yeah. But, and this is anecdotal just based on what I've seen with my, my no, friends right. who are PTs, but... They are doctoral prepared and they are so knowledgeable. Oh, my God. Mm-hmm. Yeah, of course
0: they Incredibly. are. Incredibly. And
1: they do not get compensated for it at all.
0: No. And look at social work who has, is required to have a master's degree to make $35,000 $35, a year. It's oh, ridiculous. Totally. It's ridiculous. It's, cri- it's criminal. It's absolutely criminal. It absolutely is. It absolutely oh, is. It's it's criminal. criminal. It's <laughs> criminal. It's comical and <laughs> criminal. It's comical and like a that's Dark not funny kind of way. way. It's not funny. It's horrible. No, it's horrible. And I feel like it just like makes people stay in this cycle of debt. And it's absolutely horrible. When I told my CNO that, you know, I'm master's prepared. And I was at the time I had this conversation. Hey, I'm really interested in getting into quality and process improvement. And she was like, well, I'm going to recommend you start your doctoral program
1: because the people that
0: you're... The people that you're up against, you know, are all working on their doctoral programs and, you know, that's one element that we look at. No, I'm not going to get it. I I told her, I said, I'd be happy to get my doctoral degree. No problem. I love to learn if you pay for it. Correct. Absolutely. I'm not taking on any more debt. If you want me to have a degree, you can pay for it. Well, and like, they're all the willing to do it when it's about getting
1: magnet status for the hospital. Of course. And they're like, oh, yeah, we'll pay for all these managers, these, like, 80-year-old managers to go back and get their BSN. Sure. Right. Yeah. We let everyone be grandfathered in, and now we're going to pay for them to go back to school because we want to keep them. Great. I'm all for that. It's real convenient for them to do it when they want to get magnet.
0: Yep. (sighs) They'll invest the money when there is... Financial reward for them on the other side For them. Right. Yeah. Okay. Well, that takes us right into the next one, which is number seven, Furthering Nursing Education Online. As more employers require their nurses to obtain a Bachelor of Science in Nursing, universities have expanded their online courses to offer to offerings to include an RN to BSN degree program, helps nurses with busy schedules, yada yada. The shift to providing online nursing degrees doesn't apply solely to the RN to BSN. It has expanded to include the online Master of Science in Nursing and the online Doctor of Nursing Practice. You can go get your doctoral degree online. I'm sorry. I'm just against this. So I will say...
1: I am not for an RN degree online, obviously, right. but RN to BSN, as we know, there's like... There's that, a lot of theory. That's theory. That's, as my father calls it, bullshit nursing BSN. Yeah, it's
0: paper writing. Yeah. Absolutely. MSN,
1: same kind of deal. It's not clinical. Yep. It's, that's nope. fine with me. I think I actually love that option for people. And I've known a lot of people who have done it who are already practicing nurses. Mm-hmm. So that's fine. DNP, absolutely not.
0: Yeah. Okay. That's how we feel about there we that. Go. That's how we feel about it. Full
1: stop. <laughs> I do, I feel like next we're question. not doing
0: we're not doing these things justice, but we're running super long here. Well, we so. can touch back on
1: things that we think are worth coming back to.
0: Yeah, and if you guys have things that you want to talk about more, just let us know, and we'll we'll reevaluate next week. Mm-hmm. Number eight: Impact of the looming nursing shortage. The U.S. is facing a nursing shortage. Yeah, we've been hearing that since like 1974. Yeah. No kidding. <laughs> As the people in hospitals get sicker and sicker and sicker every passing moment. I know. Not only will there be a shortage among nursing care providers, but there's also going to be a significant shortage in nurse educators, which is particularly important since nursing educators are needed to support this job growth.
1: They're literally getting rid of educators by the bundle. It's the first thing to get cut in hospitals.
0: It is the first thing to get cut, But I think they're talking about like school educators. Uh, like clinical, yeah. Yeah. As a result, employers may offer nurses more money, bonuses, and tuition reimbursement. Br- reimbursement. Nurses will continue to see these benefits as employers aim to fill their vacancies. Ugh. Yeah,
1: but they're not going to pay... Like, if you're already a nurse, like that's not going to help the nursing shortage, unless you're talking about a CNA getting paid to go to nursing school to come work for them. Yeah. When my father became a CRNA, he was paid by the hospital, like a stipend...
0: Yeah, that's amazing. They don't offer that anymore. No, that's like an
1: old-fashioned thing. But like, if if you're so concerned about a shortage, like that should be a part of the conversation. Absolutely. And then you say you have to stay for five years. Yeah. Or whatever,
0: it, which is, uh, you know, handcuffs. But I, yeah, I well, guess there it depends. Are, I, mean, on how I mean, that's much another, another conversation
1: because I I have never been a part of one, but I've heard of people having these like sign-on bonus contract things. Mm-hmm. Um, That's something we should dive into in another episode.
0: I I don't know a lot about it because I've never been offered one, but we can talk about it. All right. Number nine, nurses getting involved through advocacy and action. As the largest group of healthcare providers in the nation, nurses have a significant opportunity to express a voice in the future of healthcare and the health of our nation. Quote, our code of ethics states that advocacy is our responsibility. We should be advocates for our patients and we should be involved in developing better health care for all members of our society. Except the problem with that is nobody gives a shit about the patients. They only give a shit about the money.
1: I know. That's lip service in a big way. Shut up.
0: I mean, the nurses care about
1: the patients, but they don't.
0: That's not the bottom line and we know it. Nurses hold hands, give hugs and back rubs. So, (laughs) okay. Number 10, implementing self-care in nursing. This is one we've talked about. Many nurses experience pain, stress, and trauma firsthand on a daily basis, and that can take a strong physical and emotional toll. It may affect their mental health, job satisfaction, and overall quality of life. This is why awareness and education on self-care for nurses is being prioritized in the field. Is it, though? A nurse who takes better care... Nope. (laughs) Don't mind Jamie Cummins. A nurse who takes better care of themselves can take better care of their patients. We've said this time and time again. Yes. Dude, we could have written this list, honestly. We kind of did. I think they pillaged it from our podcast. Maybe they did. Quote... I'm going to sue Purdue University. (laughs) Do it. Many studies tell us that it is more than just money that keeps nurses in the profession. Employers that promote self-care and healthy work environments are also on the rise. As we battle nurse burnout and compassion fatigue, They literally Mm. took our topic ideas Mm -hmm. as a result of the type of work nurses do. Quote, there is definitely correlation between a healthy work environment and nurses being able to provide high quality, safe care that influences positive patient outcomes. More institutions are recognizing the importance of a healthy environment for all. Yeah, they might recognize the healthy environment, but they won't support the funding for a healthy environment. Correct. Oh, so annoying. I know. I hate that we went out on two annoying ones. We all know these things. (laughs) If you guys want to talk about these things more, let us know. Do you have any final wrap-up thoughts?
1: No, not particularly. I mean, I've got a lot of... I have a lot of (laughs) thoughts. That's probably how our audience feels. They're probably just like, uh... mm." I mean, I feel like I appreciate that that list is actually more diverse than I was expecting in terms of how well-rounded nursing is. Good. I feel like often it's like increase in like pain seekers, increase in, you know, sta- oh. staffing ratio. Like, and like, they're like, I oh. feel like it's more, Um, I don't know, just things you've heard a billion times before, or like taken directly from like CEUs and different things like that. Yeah. And, like, or or increasing you know, how busy they are and like, whatever the, di- mm. the the doctor nurse relationship. And it's like, listen, don't yeah. pander to me. Like that's, there's normal shit that goes on for a job, but then mm. we're talking about a nursing as a career, right what is, Impactful, And I think that this yeah. is actually a pretty comprehensive list.
0: Good. Okay. Well, God, well, I'm glad you liked the list. Thank you to Purdue University Global. I should add that at the after the last one, it says in bold letters, earn your next nursing degree online with Purdue Global. <laughs> and then it talks more oh, about that.
1: I see you, Purdue Global. I see you. <laughs>
0: And there's more information talking about uh, the Purdue Global University, Mm -hmm. whatever. Anyway, all right, as always, if you guys have uh, feedback that you want to give us or comments, suggestions, stories, we'd love to hear them. And We have to say we're a little disappointed in the number of stories we've gotten about your favorite nursing moments because we really want to do this episode. We think it'll be a really uplifting episode, but we need you all to write in. If Instagram isn't enough characters, then send it to our Gmail, nursecoffeetalk at gmail.com. We really need your feedback. Otherwise, we're going to have to cancel this episode if we don't get enough. <laughs> I know. And we, we just think it would be probably one of the most uplifting stories that yes. we do. We, You've we heard we all of hear, our stories. We want to hear your warm, fuzzy moments. Yeah. Can I tell you one real quick before we go? Oh, my God. I have to edit this. Okay, <laughs> Okay, fine. On. Never mind. Goodbye. Go. Just go. <laughs> I was
1: sending a patient home on hospice. And the daughter called me and told me that she wished that we lived closer because she really felt that we bonded and that she trusted me out of anyone that she talked to at the hospital.
0: Oh, she wanted to be your friend? She wanted to be my friend. Oh, just tell her about our podcast. She can hear you every day. (laughs) Great. (laughs) It's a one-sided friendship, but... (laughs) That's all right. (laughs) All right, everybody, you guys have a fantastic week. We love you and we'll speak to you next week. Bye. Bye.